Happy Wednesday. Greetings to our dear friends. Thanks for being here. It's KZUM. Of course, you know that. And this is Jill. And this is K9360 because it's Wednesday and that's what we do here. Hope everybody's doing good. Um, quick shout out. Thanks to those of you who got in touch with me um, regarding the last two programs uh, that we did here in the last two weeks. It's always nice to hear from listeners. I so appreciate you taking the time to find me and to fire off an email. Let me know what you thought about what you are hearing on the program. Um, okay. This our K9360 is Lincoln's only public affairs program that talks about dogs. As far as I know, you tell me if you know of another one, but I think we're the only one. And um, based on a couple of things that also came across my desk and uh, we're in full swing with summer training classes, so I'm hearing and thinking about and listening hard to uh, a lot of what folks are telling me about the experiences that they're having. Um, I want to talk about rescue I touch on this subject again, and I want to talk about it in two parts. Uh, so today, a little bit of thinking about rescuing dogs as the business dynamic that it actually is, and next week, a little bit of information about um, how to think about the material entity that is the dog once you've uh, acquired it and brought it into your home. So rescue can be a controversial topic. So let's see if we can wade in a bit because I want to begin and end this commentary by recognizing there are some truly remarkable groups out there, uh, people who really give generously of their time and even their money to care for and house unwanted dogs and puppies. They donate their time, their energy, their resources to help dogs find good homes. They act responsibly to save abandoned or unwanted animals, and we really should support and defend them for it. It is just as wrong to depict every animal rescue person as a scam artist reselling puppies from animal auctions as it is for all dog breeders to be characterized as puppy mill operators. But how to know the good ones from the bad ones, the good ones from the not so good? I've said this before, but I think it's worth revisiting because one way is to take a giant step back from the marketing hype, to set aside the emotional appeal generated by the photos of the adorable dogs on the webpage or the sad music on the TV commercial, and take a look at the organization's business model. Because while dogs play many roles in our homes and families, one thing they most certainly are is a consumer commodity. Dogs, wherever they come from, are commodities, and therefore their means of production, distribution, sales, surplus, and recycling is something we have to consider itself as a business cycle, as part of the business landscape in our communities, in our state. The term business model is just a description of the value that a company would offer to its customers and the structure of the organization and its network of partners for creating, marketing, and delivering the value. It's relationship capital, a way of generating profitable or sustainable re revenue streams. 
If an individual is collecting money for products or services, even if it's organized as a nonprofit, there must be a legal structure in place to do so. The business model is that legal structure, and it represents various aspects of the business, including its purpose, its offerings, strategies, infrastructure, organizational structures, trading practices, operational processes, and policy, right? KZUM has a business model. So do those rescues. So like any business, rescue operates within and in response to a larger industry. So rescue is part of the pet industry. That's the big picture. And like all industries, it's subject to economic pressures of supply and demand. So humane sheltering and rescue operate against a backdrop of overpopulation, a surplus of dogs and puppies, and a cultural climate where dogs are seen as disposable. An honest look at the research shows that things like job relocation, divorce, death in the family, loss of income, medical problems, the threat of insurance, cancellation are common practical reasons that people give up their dogs. A staggering number of dogs are turned in for behavior problems, and the more common behavior issues associated with surrendered dogs are generally symptomatic of an indulgent home where no one took the time to address those issues before they got out of hand. But there are other more troubling ways for rescue organizations to acquire dogs. Uh, one way is to steal them outright in the name of rescue, and I think I've talked before about having seen that happen here in Lincoln. And another way is to buy them directly from the producer, the manufacturer, and then offer the dogs for resale while calling it adoption. So, but let's back up a minute. Ideally, the mission of rescue is to protect and act on behalf of a dog who's homeless. To achieve this goal, rescue will take in dogs that are unwanted, impounded, neglected, or abused, and place all adoptable dogs in responsible permanent homes, right? It's the idea. Rescue will provide temporary foster care, basic health care, temperament evaluation prior to placement to ensure an optimal kind of match for that new adopter, right? Rescue volunteers should provide training and education to new owners of adopted dogs to ensure success of the placement. As far as rescue is concerned, the welfare of the dog comes first. Sounds good, right? Yeah. Not all rescue organizations work that way. And to recognize problems, we have to turn again to that big picture, business cycles and the pet industry. So to talk about where rescue fits into the business cycle of the pet industry, we have to talk again about surplus. Where do these excess or leftover dogs come from? One prolific source is a puppy mill, uh, a commercial organization, someone who breeds dogs to sell both wholesale and retail. Sometimes they sell to brokers or stores as well as individuals. Every dog on the property is used in the breeding program regardless of their health, their age, their temperament. No health checks are done on the breeding dogs and puppies are sold to whoever has enough cash. There's no guarantee or the most minimal guarantee they can get away with in states where they're obliged to do so. One of the major complaints about a commercial breeding operation is the warehousing of hundreds of dogs, where the social and physical needs of so many dogs and puppies outstrips the ability of even a large staff to tend to them um, individually. 
Commercial dog breeding is a for-profit operation. They produce puppies in large numbers and they make their money in two ways. They sell puppies to the public either directly or through a third-party distribution channel like a pet store. Or secondly, they sell dogs at auction. Dog auctions are not illegal and are held usually quietly several times a year throughout the United States. Some are open to the public, others are not. Sellers pay a flat fee per animal to auction their dogs, and buyers sent by pet stores go there to obtain purebred puppies at rock-bottom prices. These pups are later sold in pet stores at sizable markup, but more often it is adult dogs who are offered at auction. Um, They are often breeding dogs who are no longer reproducing. The descriptions of the more than 240 dogs offered at auction in Lancaster County last year included one-eyed, three-legged dogs, dogs with epilepsy and enlarged hearts, deaf dogs, blind dogs, dogs with a whole range of genetic and inheritable disorders, dogs who had been used in commercial and hobby breeding programs for years. Brokers and pet store buyers are not the only ones who attend these auctions. Quote, rescue people go there too. In the name of saving lives. But what remains clear is how exactly they're doing that. Because by purchasing puppy mill surplus, the rescuer frees up kennel space and allows the commercial breeder to scan newspaper ads for younger, viable, purebred dogs and begin the production process all over again. The nonprofit rescue organization uses donor dollars to buy dogs from puppy mills, then resells those dogs to donors and the public. They call the resale transaction an adoption. But, and while this is a legal way to do business in Nebraska, it is a business model that does not succeed in fulfilling the goals of rescue, especially when those goals explicitly include the eradication of puppy mills or commercial breeding programs. It's just the opposite. Right? Anyone who purchases a dog at an animal auction is supporting a puppy mill system in the same way that the secondhand car dealer participates in the auto industry when he buys the fleet of leased vehicles in Florida, transports them to Nebraska for a resale. Right? In short, some rescue people buy from dog auctions and adopt those animals out at a profit. Regardless of their motive, it supports the puppy mill system. It leaves the unwary rec- rescue organization clients with the false impression that they have lim- legitimately rescued a dog instead of one purchased explicitly for a resale. Right? Buying dogs at auction does not save lives, and here's why I say that. Rescue work is not for the tender-hearted, as those on the front lines know only too well. Difficult decisions must be made, and there are times when humane euthanasia really is the kindest and most honorable thing a human being can do for a dog. Responsible, ethical breeders who work to improve a breed by producing dogs that embody breed type and have healthy minds and bodies are very careful with the dogs they sell, and they don't pander to a marketplace where the, quote, deaf white boxer is termed rare and priced at 500 to to $1,000 more than his sound healthy littermate. In fact, artificial demand is exactly what it sounds like. And the vehicle for creating artificial demand includes newspaper, internet advertising, and that creates the demand for goods, services, even political parties, platforms, 
It's a very powerful marketing tool. Artificial demand can create a market for substandard products and foster a subset of people who know that pet stores are bad but congratulate themselves on having, quote, saved a puppy from the horrors of the store. And then the sicker and more messed up the dog, the more saintly the human who pays $1,000 to the people who profit directly from the smarter by proxy complex. And that puppy's mom and dad and their eventual replacements continue to suffer, courtesy of the profits generated by people who tell their friends they saved a puppy. Perversely, of course, the pet stores make money off the widespread knowledge of puppy mill atrocities, and people fall for the lies told at these shops, mostly because I think it's what they want to hear. The pet store weaves the tales. They have learned how to remove a thin barrier of skepticism that stands in the way of an impulse purchase. And there are no lemon laws for puppies. Nothing to protect us as consumers from this particular kind of fraud. And saving lives is a big picture issue. For every unhealthy, irredeemably damaged, or dangerous dog placed into an otherwise good home by an unscrupulous agency, there are a dozen or more healthy, sound, good-tempered dogs who might be euthanized at shelters around the region simply because there aren't always enough good homes. Equally unethical? Mm, I think the so-called no-kill shelters and rescues who export their, ex export their excesses or overflow animals to other locales. A few years ago, the responsible dog owners of the Western States, National Animal Interest Alliance, and a couple of other organizations documented how these figures are then used, or how these exported animals are used to inflate intake figures and euthanasia rates. The inflated figures are then used to blame local dog owners whose tax dollars and license fees support the agencies and shelters. It really will take an informed pet buying public to end this circle of pain and deception created by puppy mills, dog auctions, illegitimate breeders, and unscrupulous rescue groups. We have to work all the angles because in the words of uh, economist Alfred uh, Whitehead, I think that's him. The question of whether supply or demand is more important is analogous to the question of which blade of scissors does the cutting. In an agricultural state like Nebraska or Iowa or South Dakota, Missouri, dogs are cash crop, and legislators do fear stricter laws to limit such activities. In Missouri, oh my goodness, the commercial breeders are a very strong, well-organized, and well-funded lobby. Seriously. And the industry thrives via the internet and ads in national magazines. There's one other critical factor to consider, though. The commercial breeders and rescue groups have one thing in common that makes it really hard for us, their marketing message. If you compare web pages, both claim to do what they do in the name of placing lovable pets in good homes, and they point to their extraordinary love of dogs as the reason for their labors. Both claim a real love of dogs, concern for dog well-being, and that they're providing a good source for family pets. How do we decide which of these identical marketing messages we want to believe? Is one message regarded as a lie 
because the other message tells us what we want to hear? Legitimate animal rescue organizations need and deserve our support, and most of these operations do adopt out unwanted or stray animals, and sometimes at a financial loss. They charge a reasonable fee to cover some of their expenses and absorb the rest, hoping donations will take up the slack. If you plan to adopt a puppy or even an older dog, look for, think about breeders, shelters, or rescues, and legitimacy. Support the efforts of people who provide real alternatives to, like, the pet store. Beware of sales or marketing language that depicts all breeders as puppy mills. And ask the rescue center that you visit if the dog has been purchased for resale, brought in, or found on the street as a stray. Try not to support rescue centers, organizations, or individuals who buy their dogs for resale, who flip dogs the way some folks flip houses. I made a point to try and stay on topic today and not fall back on ad hominem attacks, which is why I'm not naming anybody by name. I'm just trying to encourage a deeper industrial analysis of these consumer choices. Sometimes dog owners I work with are upset by my ethical criticisms of their choices, and I'm sorry that they feel hurt, and I understand these issues are complex and confusing, but I do think we have the dogs to consider first. The ready purchase of puppy mill dogs helps to salve the conscience of owners who dump their dogs at any excuse, and irresponsible black backyard breeders who won't take back their unwanted dogs or place them responsibly. But these provide an aftermarket for puppy mills and pet stores who crank out puppies for profit. The rescues take the responsibility away from those producers to complete the circle, and we're all implicated in this dynamic. I don't shop for pet food or pet supplies at stores that sell cats and dogs. I believe rescue can and should play a role in changing our world for the better. And I think one way of doing that is to really understand the political, social, and economic structures we find ourselves in, in, in as pet owners. And then use our insights to illustrate what works and what doesn't. Unfortunately, the work of some rescue organizations who actively participate in oppressive economic systems for the production, distribution, sales, and surplus of dogs hide these, system, these systems rather than making them transparent. So here's an example. Straight from the pages of an AKC Parent Club's own publication that I received yesterday. I'm not going to say the name of the breed. It's a purebred breed. But I want you to insert any breed into this description and think about how the Parent Club the AKC club who is assigned the responsibility for stewardship and custody and care over these dogs. How, how do they deal with these challenges? This is kind of what we'll talk about in depth next week. So this is a report to the parent club from the rescue arm of a specific breed, AKC recognized breed. So the board of directors would like to give an update on rescue activity in 2021. As everyone in our breed is aware, the surging popularity of our breed is pushing rescue efforts to new levels and straining our volunteer resources. It is potentially threatening the long-term health of our breed as too many dogs are being produced by irresponsible breeders with little concern for inherited health or temperament issues. 
owner surrender requests skyrocketed over the past year, primarily due to people who purchased dogs from backyard breeders and then realized that the breed requires too much training and attention for them to handle. Our first step is to try to help with training and behavior issues, but owners must be willing to put in the work. Unfortunately, we're turning away more and more dogs with behavior issues. Sometimes the issues are attributed to genetics and other times to poor socialization, inconsistent or heavy-handed training methods, or pure neglect. That said, our rescue organization brought in approximately 275 dogs in 2021. Approximately 220 were adopted out and nine were euthanized. As we have seen in the past, Texas is the area that brings in most of our rescues. Throughout 2021, the number of dogs in Oklahoma increased substantially, and Florida continued to contribute a large number of dogs to our intake. We have seen our rescues thrive in their adoptive homes and excel in some performance sports. Uh, We are extremely careful regarding working dog placements and placements with veteran PTSD groups as there are many scammers and unethical trainers looking for dogs to adopt and then flip, even though this is clearly not allowed by our adoption contract. We encourage everyone involved with our rescue and our breed to help people to carefully research the breed and support new owners. It is only by guiding people to reputable breeders and established rescue groups that we may be able to stem the tide of purchases from breeders who do not consider health checks and temperament as viable parts of their breeding program. It has been a very difficult and discouraging year for our rescue and for so many other rescue groups and shelters. Never have we seen so many dogs treated as disposable by owners and breeders alike. The letter continues, 2022 promises to be just as challenging. We are contacted about entire litters of puppies or pregnant dogs in shelters almost every week. And regularly we have backyard breeders contacting us because they cannot sell their puppies. The amazing support we receive from our rescue community and our volunteers is one of the bright lights as we persevere in these challenging times. Everyone has stepped up to help with medical costs and transport and data entry, and we have a very cohesive team. It's gonna be work to keep finding placements for dogs in our care. We are very grateful for our longstanding relationship with our parent club and the continued support from the board and from the club members. We could not take care of the large number of dogs we help without you. We encourage our parent club and its membership to reach out and educate and support people who are interested in this magnificent breed. We applaud and we are grateful to the dedicated and responsible breeders who are part of our breed. We look to you to protect the integrity, health, and temperament of our beloved breed of dog. It's overwhelming out there, y'all, right? Um, And... I have somebody consistently on my social media page who is all about the adopt don't shop and I th- and and she every breeder every breeder is is horrible all of them she lumps them all together into one category um yet every dog has a breeder right every dog has someone who made a choice 
a decision to either intentionally create a litter of puppies that they then did not take responsibility for or, quote, accidentally allow a breeding to happen and then not take responsibility for really for where those puppies go or or what happens to them. And I, I have just as many friends maybe more, who will not support rescue because they re- they believe, maybe too single-mindedly, that rescue simply takes away the breeder's responsibility for, for producing the litter in the first place. It's not easy. It's not an easy dynamic to explore. It's not an easy conversation to have. Um, there are folks out there, right, Ex- exploiting owners. Um, it's hard to get past the marketing hype. It's hard to watch the endless television ads with the sad faces and the sad music and the pleas for money, right? Um, they do touch our hearts. They do make us worry about the welfare of dogs. Um, but as as the terrier man said once, he told a little, I guess, a parable about people throwing pit bulls into the river or, or people standing downstream, pulling pit bulls out of the river. That's how it goes. You're pulling the pit bulls out of the river, one after another after another. And two people abandon their pulling of dogs out of the river and start to run. And the other ones who are pulling the dogs out of the river say, where are you going? And the two people say, we're going upstream to find the source. And that's, that's a pause, right, to, to take and consider, uh, are we really solving a problem? Are we really cleaning up a mess if we don't consider the source? and what we might want to think or, or do about that. So, all right, that's it for this week, thinking about rescue as a business operation. Next week, let's think about what we do with that dog once they land in the kitchen or cross the threshold or on your doorstep, okay? Thanks, as always, for your listening ear. Thanks for being here. Thanks for giving us a great KZUM summer by attending events and representing, right? And uh, showing a little KZUM pride with all your cool merch. And stick around. The celebration's coming up. We're always grateful for you here at KZUM, KZUM HD, the coolest radio station in the world. See you next week.